0: Welcome to the Mejlis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Paneer, host of the Mejlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. Central Asia's trade with Europe has been severely hampered by Russia's war on Ukraine and subsequent sanctions the European Union imposed on Russia for the war. Much of Central Asia's trade with Europe and with Turkey passed through Russia, a legacy of the Soviet era when all roads west from Central Asia went through Russia. But now Central Asia is exploring new routes west that avoid Russian territory and go across the Caspian Sea and through the Caucasus. What are the options for Central Asia? What infrastructure is in place to reorient trade westward? And what still needs to be done to open these trade routes to Turkey and Europe? To discuss all this, I am joined by Valijan Turakulov, who is a Ph.D. assistant professor at the business school Akva University Tashkent. He earned his PhD in international trade at Inhai University, South Korea. His research interest is Central Asian countries regional and trade policies. Yunus Sharifli is a research intern at the Central Asian Barometer. He also works as a junior research fellow at the Caucasian Center for International Relations and Strategic Studies at the Top Chubasha Center in Azerbaijan. Thank you for joining me today. And Valijan, I'd like to start with you. For the benefit of our audience, can you give us an idea of how Central Asia's trade with Europe has been affected by the loss of trade routes through Russia?
1: Uh, actually, like if I uh, if you look at a little bit about the history of the Central Asia, is you know like Central Asia was the part of the and the center of the you know Silk Road before then uh, you know like in particular, you know some of the you know like traders they found a maritime route and then Central Asia kind of lost you know like it is you know the importance. In the uh, you know like a Silk Road, and after that you know like after several years uh, like uh, the, the the Russia came in you know like to the Central Asia, and then you know like even though we got a independent, as an independent country, we still are really we still depend on in you know, a Russian corridor okay in order to you know trade uh, with European Union, even not only European Union, you know, even some of the like uh, Eastern uh, countries, for example, like uh, Japan, you know, like I know like some of the, uh, you know, exporters from my country, they trade, you know, like through Kazakhstan and then Russia and then Vlad- Vladivostok, you know, uh, that part, you know, like so far, they've just bypassed China and, and ask them why, uh, because of the, you know, uh, like some of the obstacles in China, even like, for example, the language obstacles, Because, like, still uh, traditionally, historically, we are close to the 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 Russian. We uh, they still prefer going through the Russia to any other country. Okay, and then the Europe was, uh, you know, like one of the you know the regions that we usually go through Turkey or the the Russia to the Europe. And then, kind of, we were happy. Let's say, uh, for example, as you know, like Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan, among Central Asian countries, are enjoying you know JSP plus of the European Union. Kind of, you're enjoying, uh, you're about, about to enjoy from these preferences. However, you know, like, you know, the Russia made very kind of sharp turn uh, in, in this policy. And then, you know, like, because of the Russian invidity Green, now, uh, you know, like, we are even losing the transport corridor through the Russian. Uh, that's why I think this uh, discussion will be very useful for all of us and also, like, for our listeners. Because it's a very hot topic that we have to discuss because it's the, you know, like that, to, to, that today's discussed, uh, you know, the topic that really impacts on the future of the Central Asian uh, trade policy uh, as, you know, like this middle corridor success, kind of literally the success of the trade between, you know, the Central Asia and the to the Europe. So that is my introduction.
0: Okay that's great, you know and, and Eunice, I want to bring you know give you a chance to uh, talk about the same thing you know not only uh, how much of an impact this this has been on Central Asia's trade with Europe, but can you give me also a little bit of idea uh, an idea about what what infrastructure is in place you know what what do they got for roads and railways and, I, and we'll get to the the china Kyrgyzstan Uzbekistan Railway in a minute because I know that that's something you, you just wrote an excellent article on that. But uh, can, can you give us an idea of what the infrastructure looks like on in Central Asia that doesn't, doesn't go through Russia? Uh, you know, is it, what, what are the other options if they don't want to go through Russia? Okay, actually, I would like to
2: say that not even after uh, the Russia-Ukraine war, but before the Russia-Ukraine war, especially since the 1990s when the Central Asian countries announced their independence. The, the Central Asian countries started to construct both hard infrastructure and the soft infrastructure. The meaning of the hard infrastructure is that building the railway, terminal, port, and tripods. ports. And also meaning of the soft infrastructure is about the digitalization of the customs, the facilitating of the control, with, the, for example, the border, in, for example, the China-Kazakh border, and also simplifying the rules, unifi- unification of the tariffs, and other things. In the generally, after the Russia-Ukraine war, we saw that Central Asian countries, especially the Kazakhstan. I would like to emphasize that Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan is the main player in the Central Asian countries because they try to diversify the routes, invest the railway infrastructure, try to increase their capacity in the, both dry ports and. The port, especially Kazakhstan, and they try to attract more cargo from the northern route, which goes through the Russia, from to Northern Corridor, to Middle Corridor, which starts from the China, goes through Kazakhstan, and goes through ca- the Sovka via Caspian Sea and reach Turkey. In terms of the infrastructure, we saw that actually. I would like to first start with the Kazakhstan. Since 2000, Kazakhstan improved its railway infrastructure and modernized generally throughout the country of the railway infrastructure, also, also cooperate with the regional countries, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, and Kyrgyzstan, also cooperate with the South Caucasian countries for enhanced multimodal transportation. In the context of this topic, the middle corridor, especially the first, the middle corridor is important. The middle corridor is a transport route connecting China to Western Europe that chart a passage between the Russia in the north and Iran in the south. The routes at the moment is especially important because when we t- the check the news since the Russian war began, we saw that the middle corridor seems one of the potential routes which can offset the losses, uh, the, uh, the offset the losses of companies due to the Russian-Ukraine war because at the moment due to the ethical values and because of the sanctions on Russia, the, of European companies and Chinese companies try to diversify the routes and try to find another route which bypasses Russia. In this context, Middle corridor is important, and Kazakhstan is especially important. And Kazakhstan at the moment tried to invest China-Kazakh border. For example, we have a, the interesting developments in the China-Kazakh border. For example, announcement of the second multifunctional the station. Uh, terminal at uh, the station in the DOS Dost terminal, which increase the capacity of the, the China-Kazakh border and facilitate the mo- much better transportation from China to Europe. Second improvement is about the uh, creation and building of the third terminal between the China-Kazakh border and also import increasing capacity and announcement of the new information about the simplifying the custom rules. And reduce uh, reduce general the cost uh, the controlling process. The old developments uh, said us that the Kazakhstan and also other regional countries try to improve multimodal transportation through the uh, from China to Europe. Try to increase their strategic importance and uh, try to get more cargo because the more more cargo means that more transit fee and also the locate in the, the throughout the supply chain from China to Europe. In addition to the Kazakhstan, I would like to emphasize that Uzbekistan's initiative. For example, we saw that uh, last month the Uzbekistan proposed new corridor, which starts from the China and goes through the Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan. One branch goes through the Iran. One branch goes through the South Caucasus via Caspian Sea. This is the important developments, like the regional competition between Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan in terms of the attracting more cargo, and uh, we saw that at the moment. Uzbekistan, also Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, and China announced that uh, the construction date of the China-Kyrgyzstan-Uzbekistan railway is extremely important for the this uh, the multimodal transportation. Generally, I can say that at the moment there are a lot of advantages in terms of the middle corridor and also the in terms of the the corridor which goes through the Kyrgyzstan-Uzbekistan. But there are also some problems. Uh, for example, the congestion problem, China-Kazakh border, generally the decisions about that china kyrgyzstan railway still need to more accurate information because we know that last 20 years that Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan talks about the realization of this project, but there are a lot of delays. But in the finally, I can say that maybe in the media we saw a lot of information that middle corridor seems a potential alternative to the Russian. Route, but actually, in the short term or and medium term, we can say that the middle corridor has a potential to offset the international companies losses from the uh, the Russian corridor. But middle corridor countries or the new route from the Kazakhstan Uzbekistan, can't replace totally the northern corridor, which goes through the Russia. But in the future, for example, Turkish officials special argue that there is a possibility that 30% of the cargo which goes through from the Russian territory, there's a possibility that 30% of the cargo draw to middle corridor and, uh, for example, the route goes through the Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, and generally reduce the, the reliance on Russia.
0: Excellent, thank you. Wow, that was a real complete explanation of that. Um, you know, well, John, I want to come back to you for a second here too, and and I'll we'll get to you in a second also, Eunice, because it's the same question. You know, twice this month I've seen reports about Uzbek about the Uzbek president speaking with the Azerbaijani president, and and we know that Kazakh President Takayev was was in Azerbaijan in uh, on uh, August twenty fourth to meet with Ilham Aliyev. Also, can you can you talk a little bit about the warming relations between Uzbekistan and Azerbaijan, and more generally about the warming relations between Central Asia and Azerbaijan as they see this potential new or, uh, opening of our new route west, which obviously uh, involves azerbaijan uh, it's a It's a very important link that on that.
2: Thank you very much for uh, this question. We saw that the last two months, actually last three months, generally there is a development between relation. Generally, there is a development between Azerbaijan-Kazakhstan, relation of the Azerbaijan-Kazakhstan and azerbaijan Uzbekistan. We saw that when the president, uh, Shovket Mirzaev, visited Azerbaijan, we saw that there are also new agreements in, in the context of the logistic cooperation. Generally, also after Mr. Uh, Shevchet Mirzaev left the country, there is also an interaction between the business sectors and the economic sectors, and they try to propose new economic corridor, a new transportation corridor from China to Europe. Uh, as I noted before, at the moment, Uzbekistan try to also play important role in the context of the China-European Union railway trade. And in this context, we saw that, for example, we have a news that Uzbekistan, Azerbaijan and Turkey sign new agreement to simplify the custom rules. And they signed the Accord. is extremely important in this context because they emphasize that every time the multimodal transportation from the China to Europe. Generally, the main reason of that, uh, the development of the azerbaijan uzbekistan relationship is also due to the, the Russia-Ukraine war uh, because both states see that there are opportunities to attract more cargo, improve, attract more international companies, also modernize their, uh, modernize their infrastructure because uh, I would like to say that in comparison with the past years, we see that generally improvement of the infrastructure, not just in the Central Asia, but South Caucasus. the main player is the state, for example, Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan or Uzbekistan. But at the moment, we due to the Russia Ukraine war, both Chinese and European companies also in terms of private and state companies try to invest in the middle corridor or the corridor which starts from the China, uh, China and Kosovo, Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan. And third player, in addition to the state and international companies, the third actors we saw that involved the improvement of the, the infrastructure in Central Asian and South is the financial international organizations or regional organizations, we can say that. For example, Asia Development Bank. Asia Development Bank involving the modernization of both Kazakhstan infrastructure and Uzbekistan and also Azerbaijan and Georgia. And recently, European Bank for Re- uh, Reconstruction and Development announced that it invests Kazakhstan Railway Bond for improved efficiency, reduce cost, reduce the time-consuming, improved the both port of the, uh, the Kazakhstan and the railway infrastructure. In this context, we said that uh, one of the most important reasons of the recent interaction between the Azerbaijan Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan and Uzbekistan, is about to use the opportunity, attract more cargo. Try to attract more investment from the international companies and international organizations, and play a strategically important role. Uh, not for the South Caucasus and Saint Pleasure, but generally between the China and the European Union.
0: No, this is excellent, and thank you because I do. We're going uh, to do a lot in the second part of the show about the international efforts to try to improve the line. This next, actually, Eunice, I wanted you can comment on that too about the the connection to Azerbaijan but what i also want to talk about to, here too is that we you know we're talking about a trans caspian uh, at some point of this trade route you have to go across the caspian sea now we know that the ports have been developed on on both sides of the caspian sea uh you got kurik you got oktau uh, you got turkmenbashi city and on the other side we got a lot it, it, but is that sufficient? I mean, you know, is the capacity of these ports sufficient? And especially on the Azerbaijani side, can they handle all the traffic coming to and and going from uh, Central Asia?
2: Thank you very much for, again, question. Actually, it's a really important question because we saw that, as I noted before, there is some advantage of the middle corridor or general the route which starts from Central Asia and goes through the cox, but there is also some Congestion problems. For example, the one of the most important problems, is the port capacity, not in the Azerbaijan, but also the capacity of the Kazakhstan ports and the uh, Turkmenistan ports. But we saw that both Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, and Turkmenistan they try to invest and increase the capacity. We recently saw that there's an announcement of the new data that already both Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan uh, reach maximum capacity. This is important news because this means that in future, there's a possibility, the creation of the bottlenecks and the congestion problems. The second problem is in this contest is the shortage of the ferry and the shortage of the vessel, which play key role for sending cargo, for example, from Kazakhstan port to Azerbaijan port or from Turkmenistan port to Azerbaijan port. But in this, the both example is important and we saw that. For example, recently, Azerbaijan President Mr. Ilham Aliyev announced that we need to start construction of the second stage of the Baku International Trade Port. There are also great capacity to attract more cargo and increase the efficiency of transportation through Azerbaijan. And we saw that in the Kazakhstan side that they also announced that they want to create container hub in the Akto port. And also they have a plan to build 10 vessels. For cargo transportation from one side of the Caspian Sea to the other side, and also Azerbaijan side decided to build more more vessel, not just for the Caspian Sea but for also the Black Sea. This is important because we saw that both Kazakhstan and Azerbaijan try to invest not just their country but also try to invest and improve efficiencies through the Middle Corridor in Georgia, in the Turkey, in the Black Sea. And at the moment, I can say that there is a mm-hmm. bottleneck problem. And also both countries, not just Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan, but Tuchman-Stan ports, reach their maximum capacity. But there are still the playing field that after a while, when they start to uh, the construction and when they finish the new terminals in the both uh port, Akto port or Baku International Trade port or Tuchman-Pash port, there is a great opportunity and great capacity to handle more cargo from China to Europe.
0: Great, thank you very much. And, and John, I'm going to come back to you for a minute, too, because I know Uzbekistan has been paying a lot of attention to uh, their their ability to ship goods and or accept goods to to both the Kazakhstani ports and to Turk, the port at Turkmenbashi. Also, isn't this true? Can you tell us a little bit about Uzbekistan's efforts to get to these ports? As yeah, like, you know, like uh, the when the
1: president, Czechoslovakia, uh, came in 2016, he kind of started uh, making a lot of efforts, you know, like to have a corridors to the south, you know, the countries or the European countries, or the the China or the uh, you know the uh, Japan and the Korea, uh, those regions. And one of the efforts he made it like uh, there was a two kind of a dilemmas in front of the Uzbek government at the time, like whether they want to have a corridor through the Afghanistan, Pakistan, or the Turkmenistan to the Iran. You know, like, as you know, like they ended up having a port, you know, like kind of a corridor through the Afghanistan and also like uh, the Pakistan. And uh, the, the reason why they did not choose the closest, you know, Bandera bus, you know, the port, which is located in Iran, is uh, it, it has two reasons. The one of the reasons is that, you know, like Iran still, uh, you know, like has a lot of, you know, sanctions from the, uh, the West. That's why. The government did not want to have any risk, current risk and also future risk. And also, like, uh, when I talked to the, some of the government officials, they were also saying that, you know, like, I mean, Turkmenistan is, is a kind of a country, you know, like, they can, you know, like, change their position anytime. That's why they did not want to make, make any risk of this, you know, multimillion, you know, the projects. Even though the, the Afghanistan uh, is a war, they still chose that one, and then and now they're, you know, like... Uh, working on this. Even, you know, like you you talked about the, you know, uh, Azerbaijan relationship with Uzbekistan. Actually, like, you know, uh, Uzbekistan uh, now, like, trying to be very good relation, trying to have very good relationship with all of the Turkish-speaking countries, especially Turkey, Azerbaijan, and and other Central Asian countries. And then three weeks, three weeks ago, uh, you know, uh, there was a meeting between uh, ministers of Uzbekistan, Turkey, and also Azerbaijan, and they made a lot of, you know, uh, relationship, uh, they, they made a lot of agreements among them. And also one of the, you know, uh, uh, the thing that really goes to our, uh, on our topic is that our the Uzbekistan government offered kind of Turkey, Caucasus, Central Asia, South Asia, yeah, Afghanistan, you know, you know like corridor uh, in, in order to, you know, like going from the Azerbaijan, from the Turkey to the
0: Europe, to the South, you know, the East, Countries like an uh, Indian option. Okay, great. Okay, we're going to pause here for a second. Uh, we're going to bring Shirzada and uh, and we'll start the second half of the show. This is the East podcast, and we are talking about uh, the options to replace Central Asia's trade routes through Russia. And I am joined by Sherzad Eroliev. Uh, postdoctoral researcher at Lund University, Sweden, and the University of Helsinki, Finland. He's published on migration in Russia and Turkey, state and society relations in Central Asia. He's the co-author of the newly published book, The Political Economy of Non-Western Migration Regimes: Central Asia Migrant Workers in Russia and Turkey. We also have Valijan Turukulov, uh, Ph.D., assistant professor at business school, Akfa University, Tashkent, uh, he earned his phd in international trade at Inha university south korea uh, and his research interest is central asian countries regional and trade policies and uni sharifli he's a research intern at central asian barometer he also works as a junior research fellow at the, the caucasian center for international relations and strategic studies at the top of center in azerbaijan thank you all for being here uh, i'm bruce peneer the host of the show and, and let's talk about this. And we've been, we've been discussing some of the hardware. Uh, I think that was Eunice used that term earlier that, that to get these uh, trade route, what's in place uh, right at the moment to try to move goods across Central Asia. Um, you know, uh, Sherzad, uh, since you just got here, I'm kind of curious about um, what, what we've talked a little bit about what's in place. But if they're going to replace the, the northern route, if they're going to try to bypass Russia and have the same kind of trade volumes that they have through the northern route,
3: what still needs to be done in Central Asia to accomplish this? Are you asking from, from the Central Asian perspective or uh, uh, are you asking about the global players who, who have interest in this project?
0: Let's start with the Central Asian governments themselves and then we'll move to the global and then you can comment on the global players right after that, okay?
3: All right. All right. I think from the central Asian perspective, the first and foremost thing is the build up of the and the development of the infrastructure. What uh, I don't know how much you have discussed this issue before I joined the the show. Mm -hmm. But I think even uh, with Kazakhstan now speedily building up and, and the, expanding the, its uh, two seaports on the Caspian shore and building up uh, railways in, infrastructure inside uh, on, on its territory, we still uh, need uh, there more should be done in terms of, of building and expanding this kind of infrastructure. So the first thing is investments in, in infrastructure. That's from Central Asian perspective and if you're asking about what other global players or into i mean those stakeholders uh, who are interested in the in the in the uh, development of of projects uh, i think it's it's obvious that uh, they need to in, invest a lot of uh, money in building those ports in and uh, expanding those ports starting with Kazakhstan or also at the same time Turkmenistan's sure of the Caspian Sea, and the, of course, uh, we have uh, Azerbaijan, and, and of course, uh, on the on the western part, I think those available ports of Poti and Batumi of, of Georgia are not enough to serve large amounts of transport, large amounts of freight, if if you need to expand this project.
0: No, this is great, and we'll get to it. Uh, I certainly want to get to Inoclia, uh here in just a moment. Uh, uh, Valichan, you have your hand up? You wanted to make a comment?
1: Yeah, I just want to you know, emphasize on the thing that you know, uh, you know, like Central Asian countries are kind of overlooking. So, you know, like as previously, just Mr. Yunus um you know, uh, mentioned about hard and soft infrastructure. And to my best knowledge, you know, like so far, what the Central Asian countries are focusing on is that they're focusing on more hard infrastructure. For example, like building up roads. Okay. And then, I mean it's something tangible, but they're kind of you know ignoring, but not 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 focusing on the sort inf- infrastructure, which also plays very important role to you know like uh, for the goods, uh, you know to 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 go through the corridor smoothly. You know like for example, a software like you know uh, infrastructure can be you know like you know the custom union, you know like uh, non tariff barriers, barriers or the transaction fees, all of them. So, for example, like, you know, uh, one of the kind of, you know, like corner partner of the the, the project, which is Uzbekistan, is not yet, you know, like part of the WTO. Or like we we, we can just say that, you know, there is no a a harmonization kind of a system that lets the goods, you know, like go smoothly in the, uh, you know, across the corridor. That's why uh, I just want to emphasize that, you know, like when we talk and also when they are doing their project. They should not only focus on, you know, hard infrastructure, building something tangible, but also like making everything, you know, like a smooth across the project. They also have to focus on the soft infrastructure. So that is what I want.
0: Well, that's great, and thank you because this this will be the next topic. You know, and I did want to mention that a lot of the hard infrastructure. And thank you, Eunice, again for bringing that up because these are great terms for us to use. Uh, you know, a lot of this is the Asian Development Bank's uh, Central Asian uh, Regional Economic Cooperation project that started uh, in two thousand and one. Uh, you know, there's six corridors through there. Of course, we got the Belt and Road Initiative. That's that's played a big role in opening up some of, and the construction of some of these routes at the same time. But but we have a good point here about the harmonization of rules and. Regulations, tariffs, things like that. I mean, this this is also a huge obstacle to smooth trade. Um, Zan, I'm going to bring you back in since you you know to give you some equal time here since um we had some technical problems bringing you in in the first half of the show. I mean, just just how much of a problem is that? Uh, you know, that we've heard that the government still don't have in Central Asia still don't have. Haven't worked that out yet. You know how, how is that going to work out? What, what happens when when goods get to one of the to the border you know, of Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan, or or Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan, or something? I mean, how how much is left to do with that?
3: Well, I think uh, Valijan has already. I mean, he mentioned the very important factor: this uh, soft infrastructure. And uh, since I'm not an expert on on, the, on these trade issues, I think maybe uh, Valijan will be more qualified to answer what is uh, really going on, on on this matter.
0: Okay, Valijan, if you want to add something to that, and then I'll ask you, Yunus, to comment on it also.
1: Actually, you know, like it was my PhD topic to learn the hard infrastructure and soft infrastructure of the Central Asian countries. You know what? Uh, what, what I call is that You know, usually hard infrastructure is something, you know, like nature made and then soft infrastructure is kind of handmade, you know, Uh, because like, you know, uh, we are landlocked countries and, you know, kind of luckily, you know, Uzbekistan is double landlocked country. So, uh, 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 yeah, that is a nature made that, I mean, we cannot avoid, but at least we can kind of ease some of the soft infrastructure, you know, like reducing the tariffs you know, like removing, eliminating some of the non tariff barriers, you know, the license, certificate, these kind of things. And then we can kind of reduce the soft infrastructure to make the trade more smooth. But, you know, like this is not what's going on actually uh, nowadays, except let's say the Kazakhstan, but also many, in you know, Central Asian countries, especially in Uzbekistan. What you're focusing on is that still we are focusing on, you know, hard infrastructure too much. And then we are kind of partially focusing on the soft infrastructure. That's why, you know, like you know, I, I I read some of the researches about the middle corridor that it would be great to be like much kind of uh, you know like faster a corridor if you know the countries which are the part of the middle corridor have kind of trade agreement, kind of mutual trade agreement with each other. So that is the one of the solution, or at least. They should not only work on the, that, you know, building the bridge or the roads or th- those kind of things, but also they have to start building a kind of harmonized a system that, you know, the goods goes smoothly. However, like to my best knowledge and, you know, to my previous, you know, the researches, there, there, there are not a lot of things are going on in terms of the soft infrastructure.
2: I would like to add something about the soft infrastructure. First, I would like to say that why soft infrastructure is important and why if it it's not improved that and how it created new problems. I'd like to uh, I'd like to emphasize again the clear example for example in the China-Kazakh border. We said that there are some problem in the January and this problem is directly related to the soft infrastructure problem but what soft eastern infrastructure problem for example inefficient border control. Inefficient border control is related to the non-transparent the the control and this increase the informal cost of the the cargos and also formal cost of the cargos increase the time consuming and create a lot of challenges and problems for the international companies because we know that the supply chain logic is worked uh, in the context in the context of the just in time principle if this principle not work we saw that Private companies or the state led companies started to try, uh, try to find another route because they need to acute time. They need to know that when a cargo reach destination, they need to accrete and calculate that arrival time of the cargo to China or the Europe uh, European destination. In this context, uh, after the Russia Ukraine war, we saw that actually I agree totally with that, Wally John. Yes, uh, the Central Asian countries and the South Caucasian countries in the past. Uh, mostly pay attention to hard infrastructure but after the russia ukraine war we have a clear example that they, the, for example kazakhstan azerbaijan turkey and georgia announced that they create a joint virtue, uh, joint venture called the eurasian alliance this is similar to cooperation between that russia belarus and kazakhstan this is important because they try to unify the tariffs uh, reduce the the barriers unifying tariffs and customs and facilitating much efficient custom process and facilitating fast border controls we have also another example just read i think a bonding ago we saw that, that uzbekistan turkmenistan and iran signed agreement to the reduce the cost of the uh, reduce the cost of tariff and also unifying the international trade regime we also finally another example that azerbaijan uzbekistan and turkey also announced that after the the Dashkent accord They also want to create a system for simplifying the rules, facilitating the fast border controls and also increase the transparency. We see that both in Central Asia and in South Caucasus and uh, with Turkey, they all try to, at the moment, not just try to develop hard infrastructure, but also they try to improve soft infrastructure because we know that without the soft infrastructure, maybe we have a railway. But this railway is not enough. We need to calculate the time, reduce the cost, reduce the time, increase the transparency, and give the chance to companies to calculate when their sun- when they cargo arrive and or reach destination. In this context, uh, after the Russian Ukraine war, we saw a lot of examples and a lot of agreement between the Central Asian South Caucasian countries that they try to simplify the rules.
0: Now we get the question of who's going to pay for all this stuff, right? I mean, the Central Asian states certainly are being hit hard by what the economic situation that's been created from the russian ukraine or russia's war in ukraine you know and china and Eunice, in your article that you wrote about the the china kyrgyz uzbek railway you mentioned that that project for example is going to be more than four billion dollars and the chinese don't feel that they should be responsible for paying that whole bill uh, meaning that the kyrgyz and uzbeks are going to have to come up with some of this money too i haven't seen the european union states promising huge amounts of money for opening up this trade route uh Turkey, of course, has its own financial problems at the moment, too. So there's, you're going to need some money to open up these railways, these shipping routes, to get the roads all built. We talked about, uh, mentioned Anaklia briefly. I mean, they started to be, it was supposed to be the biggest port in the Black Sea. But, of course, it's uh, they've certainly um, reduced their goals for that because they're running out of financing. I mean, how much money should the European Union, for instance, be willing to put into this and help finance? Who... Who can help the Central Asians and, and Azerbaijan and Georgia to open up these routes? And I'll start with uh, Sherzad,
3: please. In answering your question, I think well, it depends everything on. Uh, uh, I think uh, what I know already is uh, the EU has uh, has increased its uh, in financial aid to Azerbaijan already. I think it was. It's it. I mean this this uh, issue of financing. Uh, has its implications between this on the on the topic of this uh, Azerbaijan Armenian relations and uh, Azerbaijan's growing in uh, importance. But I think part of the money also is supposed to to cover the expenses of Azerbaijan building infrastructure uh, that would that would help facilitate or in, improve the capa- capacity of this uh, middle c- corridor. I think uh, the initially uh, the EU uh, at least for the last uh, in, in uh, during. In 2021, uh, the EU initially promised 150 million dollars in in financial aid, and which was later increased to two billion uh, US dollars, I think. And that's well, that's not enough to. Build large infrastructure projects, but I think that's also incentivizing. And at the same time, we should uh, we should also keep in mind that those transit countries, say uh, Georgia, Azerbaijan, or Kazakhstan, they are the number one beneficiaries also. Uh, so it's in their interest to to seek for investment, to seek for money. And I'm not sure if if China is absolutely unwilling to. Cover the expenses of the Ch- China-Kyrgyz Uzbek uh, railroad. I think in, at least they they will be somehow also investing. Okay, great, thank you. Because that you
0: know that's I think that's only fair too. Well, John, you know, considering if we look at this as a middle corridor project, right? Now that presumes that this is a trade route between China and the European Union that just happens to run through the Caucasus and and central asia at the same time now if, if central now if china and european union are are the big beneficiaries of this then it would seem to make sense that china and the european union would be willing to help finance this uh, to a huge degree i would imagine since they're they're going to get more out of this than anybody probably is it well how do you think how do you feel about that
1: i think you know like uh, uh, so far we have seen a lot of you know projects
0: like you know belt and roads Initiative.
1: you know for example like uh, south korean first female uh, President Parkiné, uh, she also had a initiative, and then Moon Jae-in, she also had a northern policy initiative, and then India. So, like, many many countries, usually big countries, uh, they have, uh, you know, like, at least initiative to make it a road, and then China's, you know, like, Belt and Road initiative was very realistic until the, the, the work and the conflict started between uh, Russia and Ukraine, and you know, like, I feel... Uh, it, you know, I think like uh, when it comes to the final, uh, you know, like who financed this project, if you look at uh, this whole corridor on the one side, there is a China, which is a big factory. And then in the other other side, we will see a big market, which is Europe. And then in the middle, some of the kind of relatively, you know, like smaller countries. That's why I believe uh, there's two giant factory in a the market. They should have some investment in, in this project so that, you know like. You know the countries which, which I say you know the Central Asian countries should get benefit from it, and and also like it should be kind of uh, you know from from Central Asian countries' perspective, uh, should be kind of you know like uh, opening up their market and also like uh, uh, improving their soft infrastructure. It should, they should kind of promise to the, the China and the European Union to make a kind of to, to pay back uh, of their generosity. So so I, I believe like the, those two giant. You know, like China and in Europe, uh, they should uh, in, invest in, in this project. That this is my, you know, the thinkings. You know, like uh, to my own research.
0: Okay, thank you, Wally John. Okay, and Yunus, we am um, going to come to you. And uh, I'm remembering a moment um, in in late August 2018, after they had signed the Caspian Convention, and and Azerbaijani President Ilham Aliyev was meeting with uh, German then-German Chancellor Angela Merkel. Uh, and they were talking about the possibility of, of doing a trans-Caspian natural gas pipeline. And and Aliyev said if Turkmenistan was serious about it, then they should have to put up some of their money, like Azerbaijan had done to do the, the Baku-Tbilisi-Jahan oil pipeline and the Baku-Tbilisi-Izerum Natural gas pipeline. Is it fair to to ask the countries uh, in Central Asia and the Caucasus to put up money too, or or should the burden fall on the uh, the two endpoints of this route, meaning the European Union and and China?
2: Actually, I would like to say that uh, that since 1990s, Azerbaijan, uh, as I noted, we not just try to improve the railway infrastructure or generally the port infrastructure in the Azerbaijan, but also try to create. The regional trend stop, uh, for example, between the Azerbaijan and Georgia, they invest also Georgian railway infrastructure. We can solve this in the Baku tbilisi cars railway, as, as you know, so people also in the energy trade. And at the moment, if you consider that there's a financing problem, actually, the financing problem is that maybe before the uh, talk about the financing problem, we need to talk, for example, how they the countries uh, really want to realize the project. If we talk about that energy trade or energy cooperation between Azerbaijan and Turkmenistan, or if we talk about that general transportation cooperation between Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan, we saw that at the moment there are uh, the both sides, both Central Asian side and South Caucasian side, interested into develop both energy cooperation and also transportation cooperation in, in logistical cooperation. This is extremely important in this context. We said that. For example, if we analysed Kazakhstan and Azerbaijan, we saw that they tried to improve their infrastructure with their own mind, their own budget, by the way of the public uh, private partnership, especially Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan and recently also the converted strategy and adapt this, uh, the reality. If we consider that, we can say that yes, Azerbaijan has a, again chance to help the Central Asian countries, for example in Turkmenistan, to improve. To energy cooperation or in, uh, invest in energy infrastructure and also the logistical for example railway infrastructure or the port infrastructure but we can say that that just azerbaijan's effort is not enough because at the moment, as I noted before, we have the international companies, for example, the European the cargo companies, European railway companies, such as the Nominium Logistics, the rail cargo, top uh, the rail cargo, and other companies, they not just try to involve in the middle corridors or they not just try to involve the St. rules, but they also emphasize that we need to invest and improve the corridor efficiency. In addition to companies, as I noted before, Asia Development Bank. European uh, uh, Bank for Reconstruction and Development, and also some banks and uh, agencies, for example, the United States Agency for International Development, announced that they want to invest the middle corridor, general that uh, the multimodal transportation, the central Asia. If we compare with the past, we know that the three actors, state, companies, and international and regional organizations try to invest and improve the whole multimodal transportation to Central Asia and the South Caucasus.
0: Okay, thank you very much. All right, and I want to thank all three of you too. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time. We try to keep this podcast certainly under an hour and, and better if it's 50 minutes or 45 minutes. So I do want to thank you uh, once again. So, Yunus Sharifli, a research intern at Central Asian Barometer, Sherzad Ad postdoctoral researcher at Lund University in Sweden, and wali John PhD assistant professor at the Business School Akpa University in Tashkent. Big thank you to my producer in Washington, Nathan Shoemaker. Uh, our medley's podcast producer Uh, and a reminder that you can subscribe to the medley's podcast or the central asian focus newsletter by visiting rfarl's website at rfarl.org thank you very much and we'll be back next week